Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. In the previous broadcast, I was explaining a very important transition that the early church was experiencing that was described in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter went to the home of Cornelius and he spoke to him about the gospel. This was described in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. This is Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34, where it says, Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all, you yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And then in verse 39, we are witnesses of all the things he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Peter was explaining this, and while he was speaking about this, the people in the household of Cornelius, Cornelius' household, did believe the message that Peter was communicating, and as a result, they were saved. They were saved because the Holy Spirit fell upon them, that is described in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, where it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. This was the pivotal moment in the history of the church. This was a very important moment because it was here that they recognized that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. Now, what's important to realize here is that Peter did not have it all together right away. He did not have a full and complete understanding of the gospel, the implications of the gospel, what that would mean in our daily lives, or even that a Gentile could even be saved up until Acts chapter 10. And so when reading anything that happens before Acts chapter 10, you need to take that into consideration. You need to be aware of the fact that Peter did not quite have a complete understanding of the gospel or the implications of it. And this is well illustrated here in the reality that he was amazed that a Gentile could actually be saved, that the living God had to personally intervene in his life just to get him into the household of a Gentile. And so it's important to see this. And if this is true, 
if this is true that Peter was discovering the fact that a Gentile could actually be saved here, then it is also very important to recognize that there are probably a few other things that he does not have a complete understanding of. And that's what I would like to talk about in the first part of this broadcast, is the fact that there were some other things that he still did not have a complete understanding of. For example, consider Acts chapter 10, verse 35, where Peter said, But in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Well, in truth, no one does right, and no one truly fears the Lord, at least not to the extent where the Lord would be satisfied with that definition to say that this person truly does fear me. And certainly no one does right. And so for Peter to say this, this again, I believe, is an illustration of the fact that Peter did not quite have it all together right away. The Lord our God reaches out to everyone, regardless of whether or not they do right. If he required people to do right before he would be willing to reach out to them, who would he ever reach out to? There's no one who does right. There's no one who walks righteously before their God by what they do. This is an important thing to understand, that even though Peter did not get this, even though he did not understand this at this point, that's okay, because the Lord was still able to work with him, he was still able to use him, and what we have here is a very good description of the condition of Peter's maturity at this point in his life. Which is just fine, because the purpose of Luke writing this letter is to describe the historical events that took place in the early church. Not to say that this is the complete testimony of all the doctrine that we are to know and understand and conform to. If that was the case, then we would definitely have many struggles because of the contradictions that we would run into by trying to make that assumption with the book of Acts. Luke never made that claim. His claim was that he wrote this in order to describe the events and so that a person could know what took place in order, what people did, what people said, what people believed, even though many of the things that they believed were not true. And that's perfectly acceptable as long as we keep that in mind and understand that as we read through the text. Another verse that I wanted to draw your attention to is verse 43. In Acts chapter 10, verse 43, Peter says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Well, now this is not entirely correct. Certainly everyone who believes in him will be able to experience the benefit of the forgiveness that they have. However, everyone who is born into this world, everyone who has ever lived on this planet, has been forgiven of their sins. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, he didn't forgive the sins of just a few people who would eventually believe in him. He forgave everyone's sins. He died for the sins of the world. And the world includes those who are lost. In fact, in general, whenever you see people referred to as the world in the scriptures, in general, that's referring to those who are lost and not saved. The Lord Jesus died on the cross for the entire sin problem. The Lord Jesus died for all sins between man and God, and so that there would be no sin that would be held against anyone ever again. Now, when considering this, it's very important to keep in mind the fact that receiving the forgiveness of sins is certainly not salvation. The forgiveness of sins is what makes salvation possible, but it is not salvation. Salvation is the receiving of the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit within you as the free gift of the life of God, of eternal life. And because of the forgiveness of sins that we have, there is no sin left unforgiven that will cause the Holy Spirit to depart from within us ever again. And so by definition, that life that we have, 
the very life of God is a life that will remain within us eternally. And so for Peter to say that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins, this is not entirely correct. Everyone who believes in him receives the benefit of that, but everyone else is, in fact, forgiven. That is definitely true. Continuing on into verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. Now, this is the point of salvation. This is the point of salvation. This is the solution to the problem between us and God. The problem between us and God was not just that we needed our sins forgiven. That was a very important problem, and I'm very thankful that he solved that problem. However, the more important problem was what happened to Adam and Eve when they did sin. When they sin, they died. That was the result of their disobedience, that in the day that they ate from the wrong tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day, they died, according to the law of sin and death. Now, the death that they experienced at that moment certainly wasn't a physical death. As you continue to observe what happens in their life after that moment, they did some farming, they had some children, they certainly were quite active for a couple of dead people. That's for sure. No, the death that they experienced was the absence of the Holy Spirit. That was the death that they experienced. It was a spiritual death. When God created Adam and Eve, he breathed within them the breath of life that is the Holy Spirit, and when they violated the law, they lost the Holy Spirit. And here in Acts chapter 10, we have the restoration of the Holy Spirit. That's what salvation is about, folks. It is about the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And in order to retain the Holy Spirit now, the Lord has provided for us the complete forgiveness of sins. That is why you must rest in the finality of the cross, because if you don't, you cannot experience the reality of the resurrection That is the restoration of the life of God that will never depart from you. It is now a life that will remain within you eternally. You have an eternal life. That is your salvation that you experience right now and today and will carry you on into eternity even after you physically die. So then continuing on in Acts chapter 10, verse 45. In Acts chapter 10, verse 45, it says, All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, don't just skip over this verse. Look at that. Consider that, that the circumcised believers, that is the Jews, who believed in the Lord Jesus, were amazed. They were absolutely, they were completely amazed. Why were they so amazed? They were amazed because a Gentile got saved. That was what was so amazing. It was absolutely amazing that a Gentile could actually be saved before they first converted to Judaism. Do not underestimate the significance of this moment. This is a very big deal in the history of the church. Continuing on into verse 46, For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God, and then Peter answered. Now again, don't skip over this either. They were speaking with tongues. But what does this mean to be speaking with tongues? Well, from our perspective today, whenever we use the word speaking in tongues, that has a specific meaning to it. What that means today is that means that these people were speaking in a language that they did not understand and that there was likely confusion in the midst of their assembly because of the lack of clear communication between people. That would be the description of tongues from today's context. 
However, I sincerely do not believe that the modern expression of tongues that we see today has anything to do with the tongues that they're referring to here. In verse 46, the word tongues would be more correctly translated as languages. They were speaking with languages. And the definition of this miracle of speaking in languages was described in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, what was so amazing about this gift, what was so amazing about this miracle of the gift of tongues was not that there was confusion because people did not understand what anybody was saying and that people were speaking in an uncontrollable way with words that they did not understand and nobody else understood. What was so amazing in Acts chapter 2 was that everybody did understand what was being communicated, that there was no confusion about what was being said in the assembly, in the congregation between the believers. That was the miracle of tongues in Acts chapter 2, which I believe establishes the precedence and establishes the very definition of what this gift truly is. In general, people do not experience that today. In general, people experience something very different. And I have done a formal teaching on the doctrine of tongues. If you're interested in this subject, I have done four formal messages on this subject, and I would like to encourage you to obtain those messages and listen to those audio files to understand better the history and the purpose of the gift of tongues. And so I won't get into that in detail right now. Instead, I will defer you to those recordings that I have already done on this subject, and I sincerely believe that if you will listen to those, you will have a very good understanding of the subject overall with regards to the generalities and, of course, the specifics, as it is important in the scriptures and it is important in the development of the early church. This was a miracle, and the way that it would have been experienced by the Gentile believers and the Jewish believers would be that there would be clear communication between the two unhindered. In other words, the Gentiles would have been speaking in a different language than the Jews were when they were first assembled together. Quite likely, the Gentiles of the household of Cornelius were speaking in Greek, and the Jews were quite likely speaking in Aramaic. Now, it doesn't say, and so I am making that assumption, but it is a very good assumption. It is a reasonable assumption, given our knowledge of the culture of the people who lived during this time. And so if that is a correct assumption, then what would have been occurring would be a translation between the people there, that there would be a translator there speaking between Greek and Aramaic so that there would be clear communication between the individuals. However, in response to their belief, in response to the Gentiles' belief, the Lord God would perform a miracle to testify of the truth that they actually received the Holy Spirit by presenting the same miracle that he presented in Acts chapter 2, which was the gift of tongues, and so that there would be clear communication between all of the believers there, and that would be cause for amazement. That would be a significant cause for amazement. And so again, in verse 46, it says at the end of verse 46, Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So they were baptized after they were saved. Now this is a very different experience compared to all the previous experiences that we have in the scriptures up to this point. In the previous experiences, people were baptized in water first, and then they received the Holy Spirit. But here they receive the Holy Spirit first, and then they are baptized. And so this is what happens. What happens is that many people try to establish a doctrine on the subject of baptism, 
And they say, well, given the examples that we have, sometimes you receive salvation before you're baptized, and other times you receive salvation after you're baptized, and sometimes you receive the Holy Spirit before you're baptized, and sometimes you receive the Holy Spirit after you're baptized. We don't really know because we have two different examples here. Well, I'm here to tell you right now that you always receive the Holy Spirit regardless of whether or not you are baptized. And the reason why I say that is because the purpose of baptism its history, its purpose, its very definition in the culture at this time was the means by which you converted a Gentile to Judaism. And here in Acts chapter 10, it is being made clear to the Gentiles and to the Jews by the living God that you do not first have to convert to Judaism before you are saved. In response to the uncertainty of this, In response to the confusion that is taking place and the amazement that is taking place, Peter has them baptized, and I believe he does this just to make sure, just to make sure that they're properly converted in the way that he believes they should be converted. However, when this takes place, there is certainly a high degree of uncertainty in the believers because of the amazing moment that they are experiencing right now that a Gentile is actually being saved without first converting to Judaism. Understand that even though they were baptized, that does not mean that they are going to be saved or that it has anything to do with their salvation. In Acts chapter 10, verse 48, Peter ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, just because you're baptized in water in the name of Jesus Christ does not mean anything in terms of your salvation at all. Consider, for example, Acts chapter 8 with Philip in Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, Philip was in Samaria, and he baptized people. But even though he baptized them, that did not mean that they were saved. Consider Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 14. In verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Receiving the Holy Spirit is salvation. Look at verse 16. In verse 16, it says, For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. If they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and they weren't saved, then obviously it has nothing to do with salvation. Whether you're baptized before or whether you're baptized afterwards, it doesn't mean anything in the context of salvation. The people may have done this, that's true, and they should be expected to do this, given their understanding of the gospel and their understanding of who can be saved and in what manner they can be saved. But they did not know. They did not completely understand. But even though they did not completely understand, they did not completely know, it's perfectly fine. The Lord our God was able to make use of what they did know. And he was able to intervene and save people in the midst of the confusion and in the midst of the uncertainties. He was able to use people just fine. And today, he still uses people just fine. In the midst of the uncertainties and in the midst of all the confusion, the Lord our God still finds ways to work in people's lives and direct them to know him, to know him personally. He is still very effective in that, even in the midst of all the confusion that we all still have. And so what happens after this? After the Gentiles are saved, this is a momentous occasion. This is a very big deal. Peter is now going to return to Jerusalem. He is going to return to Jerusalem 
to inform the council in Jerusalem, all the other apostles, all the other disciples and the elders. He's going to inform them of this incredible miracle that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. And this is described in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. Word obviously got around. In verse 2 it says, And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Well, now, who are these people? Well, these are everybody. This is everyone there. Because up to this point, the only people who believed in the Lord Jesus were those who were circumcised, who officially converted to Judaism. So this is everyone. In other words, Peter leaves Caesarea. He leaves the home of Cornelius. He goes back to Jerusalem. And everyone, everyone there takes up an issue with him. And what is the issue? That he went in to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's what it says in Acts chapter 11, verse 3, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. That's what they have to say. They heard that the Gentiles received the word of God. They heard that the Gentiles got saved. And what do they have to say about it? Do they have to say, Oh, we are so excited. We are so excited. We are so pleased. We are so thrilled to know that the Gentiles actually got saved. We're really, really excited about this. No, they didn't say that at all. All that they had to say was, how dare you violate the dietary laws? That's what they had to say. That's the condition of the church. This is the condition of the church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, that's their response to the discovery that somebody got saved, that somebody believed in the Lord Jesus who wasn't a Jew. That's how, that, that's how they felt about it. But Peter responded. He still stood up for what occurred. He stood up for the miracle He did not give in to the pressure that was being placed on him. In Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 4, he said, But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth and the wild beasts and the crawling creatures and the birds of the airs. I also heard a voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Yes, we entered the man's house. Continuing in verse 13, And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. In other words, there was nothing that Peter could do. As he began to speak, the Holy Spirit just simply fell upon them. They were just simply saved because they believed. Peter had no means of intervening 
in order to prevent this from happening until after they were properly converted to Judaism. That's the issue at hand. Continuing in Acts chapter 11, verse 16, he said, And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, he remembered what the Lord Jesus said to him, that certainly you can be baptized with water with the baptism of John, but there is another baptism, a different baptism, and that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and that's the one that is of importance. The other one, the baptism of water, foreshadowed the reality of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Lord our God used the subject of baptism, something that the Pharisees created, as a means of teaching us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the restoration of the Holy Spirit, to be identified with the Holy Spirit, to be immersed by the Holy Spirit. Through the receiving of the Holy Spirit, we are then saved. And so again, in Acts chapter 11, verse 17, Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. And this repentance is not repentance from sins. It is the repentance of unbelief to belief in the Lord Jesus that leads to life, which is the restoration of the life of God that had been lost in Adam. They finally acknowledged here in Acts chapter 11, verse 18, the Jerusalem church, the church in Jerusalem, all of the apostles, all of the elders, all of the disciples of the Lord Jesus, who came to faith in him up to this time in history, they finally recognized and conceded to the fact that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew. This was a momentous moment in the history of the church. Do not underestimate the significance of this. It's very, very critical in order to understand the book of Acts and several of the other chapters that we have in the other books of the New Testament. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 38353, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net Thank you.